Pittsburgh finished second behind Honolulu, Hawaii, when it comes to being the most livable city in America. That's not bad for two cities that don't even have a Major League Baseball team. This from the Twitter timeline of Jason Stark at The Athletic. The Pirates have allowed one run in five straight games and lost three of them. According to Baseball Reference, they are the first team to do that while giving up one or fewer runs, meaning one or zero, in five games in a row since the 1908 Red Sox. How long ago was that? Cy Young was the loser in two of those games. And Joe Musgrove, I know Cy Young. And you, sir, are no Cy Young. Pirates lost one nothing again last night to the Braves. That's three of those this week via Joe Block in baseball reference. The previous time the Pirates lost three one nothing games in a month, 1968. The last time they lost three in a week, 1917. Similarly, that's also the last time Starling Marte ran out, ran out of ground ball. It is pup night at PNC Park tonight, which sounds just about right after watching Marte dog it this past weekend. Now, Marte may be back in the Pirates lineup tonight after getting benched yesterday for not running out of ground ball. If that happens when he comes to the plate or his name is announced to start the game, Marte has informed you, the fan base, that he shouldn't be booed. Because booing an athlete is not the proper way to motivate an athlete. Maybe someone should inform Mr. Marte that lollygagging up the first baseline and in a rundown, that's not the way to entertain the paying customer either. Marte should also be made aware that he wasn't being booed to be motivated. He was being booed to be shamed. Shame. There's a big difference. By 29 years of age, as Marte is, he should know what that difference is. I'm Tim Benz. As we hit the air today, here on The X, the me sitting in for Mark Madden. It's not all baseball. The top story on ESPN.com was about troubled former offensive lineman Richie Incognito. He was taken into custody for making terroristic threats with firearms at a mortuary after his father's death. So I guess that run for Congress is kind of on hold. CBS Sportsline says James Franklin is the most overrated coach in America, according to its poll of D1 coaches. Are they sure they got the right coach in Pennsylvania, or do they mean to keep coming a little bit further west to Pittsburgh? Ben Roethlisberger said he doesn't care what Jalen Ramsey had to say about him because what makes America great is that any of us can express whatever opinion we want. That's what makes America great? I guess Ben hasn't been on Twitter too much in the last seven or eight years. So we're going to get to all those topics, all of them, during the course of the day. But we got to start with Clint Hurdle and Starling Marte and how that situation was handled with the Pirates yesterday at PNC Park. Now, he definitely should have been benched. Clint Hurdle should have done it Sunday after Marte grounded out in the third inning and then failed to run hard following a slip. Hurdle shouldn't have waited until the starting lineup was revealed on Monday. What Hurdle said during his press conference yesterday was particularly interesting. I thought there could have been better effort just to finish the play. It's the first time I heard the fans. He's worked his way back into good graces with the fans. Of course, that's a reference to the failed PED test and that suspension. Now, whether Joe from Blonox or Harry on the south side was booing in the box seats behind the Pirates dugout shouldn't have mattered. When Clint Hurdle says he heard it from the fans, he shouldn't have needed to hear it from the fans for confirmation. The voice in his head should have been enough. Marte is an everyday player. Hurdle admitted the reason for benching him on Monday. He acknowledged 
that the desire wasn't good enough. There's no sugarcoating what happened. Marte is supposed to be a veteran leader, not a petulant, self-absorbed, brooding slacker. So he gets grounded like a kid misbehaving and having to go to timeout, I guess. When a supposed leader fails to live up to the rule of giving 100% on every play, it's almost worse than when an immature youngster does it. To an extent, a manager will give veterans a little slack on matters of optics like that. The guys with more wear and tear on their legs, more time under their belt, they'll get a pass on busting up the first baseline or you know, a lost cause and a grounder. But there's slack, and then there's enough rope to hang yourself. And that's what Hurdle did by not benching Marte immediately after that. Because how did Marte reward the grace of his manager? Three innings later, he fails to stay alive in a rundown between third base and home plate. By that point, not only should Marte have been benched, he also should have been escorted out of the stadium. Yet he stayed on the field for the rest of the game. Hurdle's call to put off disciplining Marte until the next game, in my opinion, lacks teeth. Well, at least the bite that it would have had if he had done so immediately anyway. If he does feel that, you know, fan, uh, maybe media consternation about Marte's demeanor on the base pass, if that influenced his decision, it makes me wonder that if it had happened, say, for instance, in May, after a Penguins-Capitals playoff game, or on, say, Sunday, up against the Steelers and Browns, would nothing have come of it? Because none of us would have been paying attention or cared. Maybe Marte wouldn't have even been benched the next day. Just enough Pirates fans are still paying attention. Just enough. So that blowback occurred. Now it's tough to argue tactics were involved in the decision to keep him in the lineup Sunday. Adam Frazier would have replaced Marte in all likelihood. That's who got the call on Monday in the starting lineup. Frazier has been scorching hot and won Sunday's game with a homer in the 11th shortly after he entered the game. Meanwhile, Marte was hitting, what, 172 since August the 4th? So it's not as if Hurdle can argue he felt like he was worried about sacrificing a game by benching Marte any more than he would have on Monday. Hurdle knows the line to walk when managing Marte with, you know, tough love as opposed to positive reinforcement. He knows that better than we do. Maybe he felt that putting the hammer down Sunday would have caused Marte to check out emotionally or mentally the rest of the season. But, to that point, we've all watched Marte long enough to ask this legitimate question. Would we be able to notice the difference if he checked out mentally or emotionally? And I have to ask, you know, much like with the Chris Archer trade, which was largely uh, dictated by fan discontent, Should the Pirates really be making decisions based on fan and media feedback? Because it sure feels like they're doing a lot of that lately. Also want to know what you would have done with Starling Marte. And I want to know what you think about his comments that he shouldn't have been booed. 412-333-9939. Now when you're at the park, just don't boo him. Whatever you do, don't boo him. Because that's not the right way to to motivate him, you dumb fans. Again, Starling, they weren't trying to motivate you. They were trying to make you feel bad about what you did. They were guilting you. Not motivating you, guilting you. I never have a problem when fans boo in a situation like that. You can also tweet me at Tim Benz, PGH. Now, as far as football goes, 
after the Hall of Fame game, I wrote in the Trib that the NFL may need a Jesse James-esque crisis moment with its helmet rule, like we saw with the catch rule in 2017. Now, I, I did not expect that to come in the preseason. Apparently, though, my prediction wasn't aggressive enough. Word is, the NFL may already be trying to fix the mangled lowering the helmet rule. According to ProFootballTalk.com, per a source with knowledge of the situation, a previously scheduled conference call will take up the issue of the suddenly controversial new rule. And as it describes, it was basically hiding in plain sight. But while this call wasn't specifically scheduled to discuss possible fixes to the rule, it's expected that participants in the call will lobby for potential tweaks. Let's not stop at tweaks. How about a massive overhaul? According to the Post, here are some things that may be addressed. Expressly limiting application of the rule to the top or crown of the helmet. Well, that's what inherently makes sense without creating middle ground in the name of overkill and excessive cover-your-ass thinking from the lawyers. So yeah, go with that. Number two, forcible helmet contact. Require that to exempt the incidental helmet contact or the specific elimination from reaching the rule to hits from the side of a player. Well, that's good because on occasion, common sense should be in a rule book. In fact, this should have been on the books the last few years to prevent those chintzy calls when primary contact was made to the chest of a player and the concussive action to the receiver forced the helmet contact secondarily. So yes, that also should be put in. The third one, it's also possible that replay review will be made available to serve as a fallback for mistakes. Now, that's better, and that better happen, because a lot of the officials are so spooked into making calls that they're uh, throwing the flags in case something happened, as opposed to when they actually see an infraction. They're doing that. They're throwing the flag in case something happened, as opposed to what their eyes are telling them. Generally, I hate the notion of replay creeping into penalties, but these whistles are now so prolific that it needs to happen to protect the players from the officials. That feels strange to say, but it's accurate. Protect the players from the officials. And then the last one is focus on the quality of the hit. Basically, a know-it-when-you-see-it type of assessment. As I wrote, That's where the catch rule went. It's counterintuitive thinking to suggest creating open-ended gray area would somehow simplify matters. But in both cases, it does. The catch rule and the helmet rule. Don't stop with the helmet rule. Hopefully whoever is on this conference call extends that dialogue to that dippy, hitting the quarterback too hard penalty that Jacksonville and Minnesota saw happen in their game. The Minnesota linebacker got busted for hitting the quarterback too hard. In the stadium, the referee should have just announced penalty number 56, 15 yards for making the NFL worried that it might get sued somehow. First down! Because, come on, that's what these hyper-restrictive rules against contact are all about. It's trying to put the toothpaste back in the tube after groundwork has been established for lawsuits against the league. The NFL is now playing defense by refusing to let its players play defense. And that sucks. Maybe some preemptive measures will reverse the trend here in the preseason. 
Now league officials will just have to figure out how to redraft the measure, approve it, reinstall it, then comes re-educating the officials, coaches, players, and league-partnered media all by September the 6th. So, good luck with that. The NFL is now redistributing a bunch of videos to try to train people as to what to look for when it comes to legal and illegal lowering of the helmet. Good luck trying to watch them. I tried. They are so remarkably confusing and counterproductive. I don't know how anyone playing the game could follow the rules to the letter of the law. So you tell me, are you on board with the NFL immediately reversing course on the helmet rule? I am. What do you think? 412-333-9939. Already got some folks lined up that want to talk about Marte and motivation. I want to get your feedback on that and the helmet thing. Chris Archer getting some advice from a Hall of Famer. He should take it. And I found the one guy who thinks that the helmet rule is good. And he's a Pittsburgh guy. I'll tell you who that is and you'll hear from him next here on 105.9 The X. Now, the super genius, Mark Madden. How you doing today, honey? Really good, sweetheart. Borderline violent, very noisy. Absolutely beautiful. The X at 105.9. I just saw a story during the commercial break that outraged me. There's this woman in Manhattan who was on Tinder, and she simultaneously invited 100 guys to the same date that she thought or they thought was going to be one-on-one. She catfished them, basically. She said, come meet me at, like, Columbus Square Park or wherever. I I don't know where it was. But she said, show up, and we'll have our Tinder date. So 100 guys show up at the same place at the same time, and there's a stage with loudspeakers set up. And she made people then go Hunger Games to win her affection. Like, y'all had to compete to win the date for her. And in order to thin the herd immediately, she eliminated anyone whose first name is Jimmy. I don't know. I guess Jimmy did something bad to her in the past. Whatever. And she eliminated anyone under 5'10". So she's a height shamer. What a witch. Short people's lives matter too, you know. Let's go to Dennis on a car phone. Wants to talk about Starling Marte getting booed by the fans. Dennis, is it okay to boo Starling Marte? Of course it's okay to boo Starling Marte. We have that right to do that as a paying customer. But I've got a better way to uh, motivate Mr. Marte. It's called competition. You know, if there was an Austin Meadows sitting behind him waiting to take his job, Mr. Marte would go ahead and uh, uh, put out a little bit for him. Yeah, I think Starling Marte is the kind of guy who frankly, is more than content just to make what he's making. I don't know how motivated he is by playing time or not. Maybe you're right. Maybe pride kicks in. Maybe it's Pulp Fiction. Maybe that's pride screwing with you eventually. But I see your point, Dennis. I think you're right. It's part of the reason why I didn't want to see Starling, or excuse me, um, Austin Meadows traded even for Chris Archer. I like the idea of the Archer trade, but I did not want to see Austin Meadows go in exchange for him. And just as a quick correlation, if you notice how all the outfield bats have suddenly gone cool since the trade, uh, just uh, just an observation. Yeah, I, it wasn't quite in line with that. Not exactly, but close. Close, yeah. I think they're taking less quality at bats, that's for sure. Like, Marte, I've seen swing and miss at a bunch of pitches outside the strike zone. Uh, Dickerson's at bat where he... 
Uh, even though got, I'm not saying you shouldn't get the green light on 3-0, but I, I thought he fished for pitches where you shouldn't in that situation, and maybe you're more cognizant of what you should be doing if you've got a guy pressing you like they did in Austin Meadows. So uh, that might be taking one leap too far, but I, I don't know. I, to me, when it comes to mental acuity, being mentally and emotionally locked in, that's been an issue for Starling Marte before, and it will be long after Austin Meadows is forgotten. You can share your opinion, 412-333-9939. Oh, you know what? Before we get to Neil Kulong from Steeler Wire, I said I'd do this. So let's get to uh, Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News. I'm going to play this whole interview at 5 o'clock. Uh, I wanted to save it until afternoon drive when everybody was in their cars and more people could be listening. But I want to give you a quick preview clip so you can see how our conversation was going to go. I think I pretty well outlined for you how I feel about the new helmet rule. Mike, formerly of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, Point Park guy, sorry, Pittsburgh Press, rather, um, covered Duquesne, covered Penn State, Pittsburgh guy through and through, now writes for the Sporting News. Mike is the only guy I can find who is 100% on board with the helmet rule. He loves him some helmet rule. And actually came to me, on Twitter, after I was tweeting about how much I hated it after the Morgan Burnett and Cody Sensabaugh hit on Mercedes Lewis, he came to me and said, we should debate this. So we did. And I put it online at Trib Live for a podcast. I'm going to play it for you later in the 5 o'clock hour. But here's a quick snippet, a preview, if you will, on why Mike is actually on board with the helmet rule. Of course you're going to lower the level of your head when you lower your shoulder to make a tackle. But if your head is up looking at the target, you are not going to get flagged. And if you do, then it's on the official. It's not on you. And the official should be paying for that uh, in whatever price he or she pays. Yeah, well, a couple things about that. Whatever price they pay is after the game. And once it's after the game, it's a moot point. In-game stuff affects the players. After-the-game stuff affects the refs. Also, how much more safe can you make this game possibly? It's still, at its core, 260-pound guys hitting 235-pound guys. There's not much more you can do to make it any safer. And I'd also say you're overcomplicating the rules and making it intellectually inconsistent. You're trying to get defensive players to get their helmets away from other players' heads. At least that's what we've been doing for the past five years. And now you're adding another layer to that. You're trying to tell players to never lower their helmets at all. Well, how is that possible? How can you do one without the other? 412-333-9939. Jim in Breckenridge on Marte. Hi, Jim. Go ahead. You're on 105.9 The X. Hi, Jim. Nice to hear from you. Good to hear from you. Go ahead. Um, the Marte situation, how about just not do anything? I mean, crickets sound a lot better than the the golf clap or the cheer. I mean, it's, it's worked so far with non-attendance, you know, people not showing up. Um, you say a lot more by just keeping your mouth shut. Yeah, I think to a degree you're right insofar as the absence of the fans definitely dictated what they did at the trade deadline. I see your point there, but I think you might be making too much of a false equivalence to how that would affect Marte individually because clearly the booing impacted him. The booing got to him. He didn't like it, but you know what, Jim? I'd rather have him not like it for the wrong reasons than have him feel like he got away with it if you catch my drift. 
Yes, I do. And some, oh, believe me, I love the boo. Oh, boy, do I love the boo. But sometimes the, the, the ignoring silent treatment just works, too. But I, but I, I too, can see your point. Yeah, I just, and, I, I'm mad that he interprets it that way. And thank you for the call, Jim. I'm mad that he interprets this as people saying that we're trying to motivate you to be better. No one's doing that. In that situation, people are not motivating you to be better. They are expressing displeasure with you not living up to your end of the bargain. There's a chasm there, a massive difference. We talk Steelers. We come back. Neil Kulak from Steeler Wire. Of course, I do Steeler Wire work for USA Today. Neil runs that as well as the League Wire. He's up next here on 105.9 The X. And now the super genius, Mark Madden. Um, what do you think about the new, I can't remember what I called, sorry. Really awesome call. EX at 105.9. In for Mark Madden today, I am Tim Benz. Pedro Martinez tweeted some advice for Chris Archer, the Pirates pitcher. Archer has great stuff, but he is exposing the ball too early and away from his body. That makes him lack deception in his delivery. That's good advice, and Archer should take it. Also tweeting advice to him, David Ortiz, who said, don't fall down when you swing. More Pirates talk coming up in just a little bit. Joining us right now, though, Neil Kulong from Steeler Wire. I work with Neil over there as part of the USA Today platform for all the NFL teams, including League Wire. Neil, good to talk to you again. How you been? I'm doing well. How are you? Neil, let's start off with the helmet rule debate and what you thought watching the Packer game and the news that's come out over the last uh, 24 to 48 hours here that the league already might start changing things. Uh, Can they possibly do that before week one? If there's anything we've learned with the NFL, is that anything with them is possible. If they want to do it, they'll do it. It doesn't matter how infeasible or ridiculous of an idea it really is. And I think what we're seeing... Um, with, with the preseason right now is also something that I, I'm not sure we really could have anticipated, but officiating has become the storyline of the preseason. I mean, I don't even, I don't think anybody would have ever considered that was even possible before, but overall we're, we're seeing a league that's trying to get ahead of, um, really a legal issue more than anything else. In my opinion, they're, they're trying to put, um, you know, the, the feelers out there to make sure uh, everyone can see very clearly that they're not at fault ultimately for the game that's being played on the field. They're doing everything that they can to make sure the guys aren't getting hit in the head, even though it's essentially impossible. So what they're going to do, and we've seen this now in, in several games so far in the preseason, is overcall absolutely everything to put it into the heads of everybody, um, any, anyone playing the game, offense or defense, that if you come anywhere close to the head, if you do anything other than uh, have your, your face going straight into the guy's stomach when you hit him, you're going to get penalized for it. And that, that's something that ultimately hurts your team. It puts your job at risk. Um, it, it, it's, it, it's an interesting move overall. I'm not sure what the results are going to be, but I, you know, like a lot of people, I, I have an ominous feeling that it's going to cost uh, teams games this season. And that's going to create another problem. Neil, I'm of the opinion that I actually wouldn't mind seeing the Steelers get a few more helmet penalties because at least that means that they become close enough to ball carriers to tackle them. Yeah, I think the Steelers have done a great job in two preseason games um, avoiding the penalties and what would be fines during the regular season. But yeah, at some point... They're yeah, by not tackling guys and letting well. them run right by him into the end zone. It's concerning, isn't it? Exactly. They're, they're, they're going to have to get their helmet closer to the ball if, if they want to succeed. But at the same time, we've seen plenty of that the last couple of years out of the team. And, and 
you're, you're hearing the, the kind of hollow calls coming from a lot of teams. Well, we're not sure what we need to do. The bottom line is you have to make contact in some way, shape, or form. Um, you, you can tackle with your, your face mask facing the guy with the ball. It is possible to do that at whatever speed, wherever the guy is on the field. Um, the, the bottom line is it's not 2010 anymore. This isn't, uh, you know, James Harrison being blamed for violence in the NFL anymore. These rules have been in place for a long time. However it is they're officiating them today, a lot of what we're seeing penalized, yes, in the preseason are, are gross misrepresentations of what actually happened on the play, but plenty of guys are still getting hit in the head. It's not as if the problem is going away. The players are going to have to figure out at some point how exactly to hit a guy uh, who's catching a ball, hit a guy that's in the open field. Until they do that, this is going to continue. Neil Kulong with us from Steeler Wire. Neil, when it comes down to the Steelers' inability to tackle, how concerned are you about that? I am because this was supposed to be a point of emphasis. This is something they were allegedly working on more than anything else, and it still looks like it's very much behind the curve. Yeah, I think that that's the big thing I would say. If it truly was an emphasis, then you really do have a problem. And I, I understand that it's the preseason. They're not playing in the Super Bowl. But the bottom line is these guys are, at the, the absolute worst, want to be NFL football players. If, if they want to play in the NFL, especially on the defensive side of the ball, I mean, they're, they're going to need to hit somebody. And the, the amount of missed tackles that we're seeing, both from fringe roster guys and potential starters alike, it doesn't give you a good sense that they really did work on that in practice. If they did... Something got missed by a lot of guys. I mean, it, it's it's kind of shocking in a way. I mean, they really should be able to, to put more guys on the ground than what we've seen through um, the, the first two games. Now, I'm willing to give them the benefit of the doubt. It's two games. It is the preseason. Let's see how they adjust to it now the camp is over. Let's let's see where that emphasis um, you know comes out in, in these final two games. Let's see if there are guys that step up and have a really good game tackling somebody and, and, and see that momentum kind of carry over into the regular season. But I, a lot of eyes are going to be watching exactly that in, in their third preseason game. And in my mind, it might be a little late for that. Neil, on the positive side, let's talk about the two Jameses, Connor and Washington. I think that, to be honest with you, we could have seen a lot of this from Washington earlier in camp and earlier in the preseason if they didn't artificially deflate his reps with higher-ranking players on the depth chart and I think almost intentionally try to keep him down so as to not let his head get too big. That's never been a concern of Washington's anyway. And when it comes to Connor, I I like what he's flashing. I'm just not convinced that they're still going to use him all that much more once Le'Veon Bell returns the team. How about you? I I think that question is going to be answered um, quarters one through four in week one. We're we're really going to see immediately – how much uh, the Steelers really believe themselves when they say that Le'Veon Bell uh, missed his training camp and he's going to show up ready to play. We did not see that against, um, well, kind of not really the same Cleveland team, but in, in the same stadium at least. We didn't see that from Bell at all last year. In my opinion, Connor looks good enough to think that you, you kind of have to incorporate him a little bit into week one. It's nothing else. I mean, I'm, I'm not suggesting Le'Veon Bell should be punished or anything like that. I just mean that you, you saw a, a, a lethargic, Bell last week. They almost lost that game. I, I still contend to this day, if you put anything close to an NFL quarterback uh, starting for the Browns that week and not to Sean Kaiser, they would have won that game. I mean, this, this is a much better Browns team than they saw last year. If Bell is anywhere close to what he was um, last season to start uh, start things off, and that, keep in mind, he's got 400 more touches on his odometer now. If he's anywhere close to that, they need to be quick in, in assessing that um, when, when they're preparing a game plan. And Connor is going to have to be a part of that. Uh, as far as Washington goes, I agree with you. I think to, to some degree they're kind of artificially 
slowing him down a little bit, and I, I think some of that is um, they don't want to put too much tape of him out there. I don't think teams are totally uh, – um, they're not going to be in the know exactly what uh, the Steelers would want to do with a guy like him, but I absolutely loved him in college. I, I, it was amazing to me that he fell where he did in the second round. I could see that he might be a second-round pick, but uh, for, for the Steelers to have picked him up where they did was, was a steal, and I, I think he's going to have a great career ahead of them. And uh, We've seen flashes of that to this point. I, I think he's going to be used perhaps a little bit more – uh, often than rookie receivers typically are in Pittsburgh. And, and you know, Juju Smith-Schuster had a great year last year. A lot of that really kind of came after a couple games. I think you're going to see Washington early for, for the Steelers this year. Neil Kulong from Steelers Wire as well as Touchdown Wire and Browns Wire too. Neil, you cover all of the NFL for the USA Today platforms, and I've seen a couple of your posts recently for Browns Wire. Boy, are they getting some run. In fact, there was a story that I noticed right before we came on the air about how much gambling action is going down in the Browns. Now, I get it. These are, in some cases, expert gamblers that are playing the margin lines more so than what they're actually investing in terms of who they think will win or who they think will lose. I understand that, almost like a stock investment kind of thing. But a lot of people, in fact, to the point that the Browns are getting more action in the AFC North than the other three teams combined, there's a lot of buzz about Cleveland lately. You brought up the Browns in the opener last year. How dangerous are they to the Steelers in 20? 18 to open the season. I think for, for the Steelers, the bottom line is if you didn't play an 0-16 team in week one, you lost, period. There, there wasn't another team in the NFL that would not have beaten the Steelers that week. They didn't play well at all. They looked terrible offensively. Uh, Deshaun Kaiser walked into seven sacks. I don't think the Steelers legitimately earned all but maybe one of those sacks. Um, for, for all of those things to happen, for the Steelers to, to still need a, a, a third and a miracle play from, from Roethlisberger to Antonio Brown, um, to, to set up, you know, the, the situation they had to close the game out. Um, that, that's really bad playing against the team that they were playing against. Um, you know, as, as far as the Vegas thing, it kind of goes into my second point with it. You have a lot of people betting on or just because of the Browns simply because they added actual NFL players to their roster. I know it's a novel concept and all, but John Dorsey's getting paid millions of dollars to simply add players who should play in the NFL, not like whatever it is they trotted out on the field last year. Um, Jarvis Landry, I'm not saying he's Antonio Brown, but he's a good receiver. He's not Corey Coleman. Um, you, you still might add Des Bryant to that mix. That's, that's a possibility. Josh Gordon could actually practice one of these days and get on the field. He's a dangerous player. Tyrod Taylor is 20 times the quarterback that Deshaun Kaiser is, even if Tyrod Taylor is at best a, a, a middle-of-the-pack uh, NFL passer. You just simply improve by not having the, the junk that they had out of the field last year. They're going to be kind of competitive. So with that, a lot of people are going to say they're the Browns, they're terrible, they haven't won a game in however long. I'll take them, you know, whoever's playing them, I'll take them negative 10 all day. The reality is the Browns are a much more competitive NFL team this year than they were. Um, they, they might win six games. Now, obviously, six, six and 10 is not a good record, but for where they were, that, that's, a, that's a pretty remarkable accomplishment. And I, I think... It's a team that, that has enough talent to be able to compete in most of their games this season, and it's not a very good AFC North. So if you really look at it top to bottom, why couldn't Cleveland steal a couple games this year and, and, and be kind of a tougher team to play? Pittsburgh's going to find that out in week one. I think Pittsburgh is the better team. I, I certainly wouldn't bet against the Steelers to win that game right now, but it, it's you know just going to, it's going to be exactly like it was last year. I think it's going to be a much closer game than people want to think that it will be. Yeah, you know what, Neil, to follow up on that thought, if you look at what Todd Haley has done well throughout his career as an offensive coordinator, even people in Pittsburgh who were critical of him have to admit he's 
lived up to that reputation of understanding a really good way to get the ball in the hands of his playmakers particularly well. He did it here with Bell. He did it with Jamal Charles. And from what I saw in preseason game number one, he's finding that with Njoku in Cleveland. And when it comes to the running backs, all three running backs did good things in their last preseason game against the Browns, excuse me, against the Bills. And as you alluded to, uh, the quarterbacks, each of them haven't looked so bad either. Yeah, I, I think um, it, as much as Steelers fans can can gripe about Todd Haley, and there's a lot of reasons to do that, if you look at it from a 10,000-foot level, the guy has had a lot of success uh, calling offenses, and certainly in, in Pittsburgh. And that is probably Cleveland's biggest ace in the hole, and it's not just because of Todd Haley himself as a play caller. It's the fact that he knows uh, who he's going up against. And I don't think Pittsburgh really has that same kind of advantage. You look at the amount of different players that are on the Browns roster now, you're not going to be entirely sure, and you're certainly not going to get it watching hard knocks, what the Browns are going to do. The Steelers don't have that level of foresight. Haley's going to know everything they're going to do. Um, I, you know, we're, we're, I'm not entirely buying into Ben Roethlisberger saying nothing on the offense is changing. That, that, that's not going to be the case at all. But overall, Todd Haley knows this team. He knows what their tendencies are. He knows what they're going to want to do, uh, particularly on, on defense, because he's gone against it for the last several years. You can't say the same thing about um, Pittsburgh's ability to prepare for the Browns. You don't know what you're getting there. So with that, Haley is, is good enough to be able to exploit uh, what he has on the field. And a guy like, like Njoku, he, he, he's a monster. You know, he, he was going to be a really, really good player. His issue was he couldn't catch the ball. And certainly we've seen that up to uh, this point in his career. And the guy was still a first-round pick. In fact, I'd even argue the Steelers would have taken him at 30 if the Browns didn't trade up to 29 to get him. So uh, it, that's, that's a team that has a lot of weapons. And it, it's uh, – with the the way that Haley has uh, you know kind of made a name for himself to to move the ball around with whoever it is that he has out there and get guys to make plays, that's going to be a tough assignment for the Steelers. Last thing, Neil, I want to bring up as you were talking about before, Roethlisberger spoke to the media today in the wake of the concerns surrounding his concussion. He says he didn't have one; just went into the protocol. I'm wondering how much you think it's important for him to play an extended period of time with the rest of the ones out there for the first-team offensive unit for the Steelers against Tennessee. Um, a lot of people are still mad at Le'Veon Bell for missing all the preseason last year. If he had been here this year, boy, he wouldn't have been playing with a lot of the ones anyway since they've done so little. That was, that was kind of my thought. I mean, the, the, the two years now that Bell has held out, um, you're looking at a, a veteran offense that knows what it's doing. It's not going to take a whole lot of risk in, um, you know, it, having their starters really go out there a whole lot, except for perhaps this game, where you want to get things in that, that dress rehearsal environment. It makes sense for them to get out there for a couple series. Obviously, you're not going to do that with Bell, but at the same time, my thought always was, well, you don't want to get hurt. I, I get that, but you can get hurt slipping in the shower. You know, I mean, it, it could happen anywhere. He's not going to get a whole lot of contact in preseason games. Maybe they don't give him a, you know, much of a run in training camp either. I would think that both sides would be – you know, pretty open to the idea that he enters week one healthy. And at the very least, he's, uh, you know, run some snaps uh, behind whoever it is that they have blocking for him. I, I would have thought there would be some value to that, but that obviously isn't, uh, the, you know, that, that's not enough to make up for the risk that he would take on. Um, outside of that, I think it is important to get a, a couple of series for the offense, if nothing else, give them a reason to kind of, you know, go on the sidelines and, and joke around, laugh with each other during the rest of the preseason. You know, you try to let them have a little bit of fun. Let them go out and hit somebody else for a change. I, I think there is value to that um, leading into the start of the season. I mean, nobody, you know, basically there aren't any uh, positions kind of up for grabs 
within the offense anyway. I mean, there are backup roles and everything like that, but let the ones get out there and you know, have some fun. You know, try to, to get them excited about what they're doing, what they're going to see, and sweat a little bit as opposed to just kind of standing around in the humidity. Let them get out there a little bit um, just to enjoy the game that they're playing. I, I think that, by and large, is what they'll do in week three, and I, I think that's enough um, for a, a veteran group to uh, – to get together and get ready to play the regular season. Neil, look forward to another year at Steelers Wire as well as Touchdown Wire and all the other Wire platforms for USA Today. Uh, Hopefully people read you and all of the other writers there throughout the course of the season. Thanks for coming on today on The X. Definitely, Tim. Thanks for having me. All right, that is Neil Kulong from Steelers Wire as well as Browns Wire. And like we said, Touchdown Wire, you can follow any one of the teams that you like in the National Football League on the Wire platforms via USA Today. We have a Starling Marte update. We'll get you that in just a few moments. This is kind of interesting. Also, when we come back, James Franklin as the most overrated coach in America. Do you know how hard it was for me to run to the aid of James Franklin? I've taken three showers today. It's 105.9 The X. And now, the super genius, Mark Madden. Yeah, Mark, what is it, buddy? Hi, buddy. Hey, Mr. Madden, how you doing? What, what if they wore assless chaps? Would that help at all? If they what? The X at 105.9. This segment of the Mark Madden Show brought to you by CW Electrical Services. Make the switch at CWElectricalServices.com. Tim Ben's in for Mark today and tomorrow. We no longer have to worry about being in a post-Post Malone era. His plane has landed safely. If you were paying attention to Twitter today, you probably saw that the rapper was in some sort of aerial distress insofar that his jet um, had two blown-out tires. And they're trying to figure out a place for him to land, and he was just flying around the eastern seaboard, apparently, burning off fuel, and they were able to get him to an airport in Newburgh, New York, And he landed successfully. So I guess there's cockpit recordings. There's video of this all over the internet now. But he did land safely, if that's a story that you have been tracking. Another story we're tracking back to sports here more specifically is about Starling Marte, who as of yet is not in the lineup. And there's a reason reason for that. There is no lineup yet for the Pirates. Because Starling Marte has a doctor's visit today, so he's a question mark. James Harrison has a hamstring injury. He'll be available off the bench. No official word as of yet what sort of doctor's visit this is for Starling Marte, but word is it's a bruised ego. Yeah, you might have heard that he's upset that fans were booing him. Booing him. He shouldn't be booed to be motivated. Fans shouldn't do that, is what Marte said yesterday. Fans shouldn't use booing as motivation. Well, they weren't. They were using it as anger. They were using it as disappointment. And now I'm starting to wonder, okay, so let's let's eventually find out here. Let's assume that we come to find out that Starling Marte had some sort of injury and that's why he didn't run out the ball or didn't run out the play in the rundown. And he said that after the slip, he didn't want to run to get injured. Now, if it turns out that he's claiming that he was injured, does that change the narrative? Because that's awful hard for me to believe. Or, you know what, I'm not going to cut him any slack anyway. Because, to be honest with you, if he was that badly injured that he couldn't give more of an effort than that on two plays, he should have left the game after the ground out. 
if he hits the ball the way he did and can't run in that kind of situation, like you want to say, okay, you're a gamer, you're giving it a go, you're trying to get out there and play, and then you find out that you can't do it, that's when it's on you to say, I can't play. And then don't turn around and use injury as an excuse afterwards. So I'm interested to see what this doctor's visit is all about and how that might turn into a rewriting of the narrative over what just happened. But you know what? It's obvious Clint Hurdle didn't buy whatever the medical excuse was or else he wouldn't have benched him for a game. You know, if he thought he was injured and was just trying to play through pain and that's why he let him play through the game on Sunday, then what changed going into Monday, and why should I expect the opinion to go back to changing again here on Tuesday? I'm confused. So, Pirates fans, I want to hear from you on the Starling Marte situation, whether or not you think booing him was appropriate, whether or not, whether or not you thought that benching him was appropriate, and does the specter of injury coming into play here at all change your thinking? 99 39 uh, 30 seconds from right now we will get to James Franklin as an overrated coach according to many other coaches in the NCAA and whether or not we're seeing a lot of hype or a lot of reality surrounding concerns about the Pittsburgh Steelers defense we'll talk about both of those topics when we come back here in 30 seconds on 105.9 the X